Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the January episode of The Delicious Podcast with me, Jilly Smith. And this one is packed with features on how to get the best out of your January without giving up a thing. We dine at London's largest vegan banquet with nearly 400 people and actress and campaigner Joanna Lumley. We find out how to be completely perfect in the kitchen with food writer Felicity Cloak and get a slice of well-being coach Jasmine Hemsley's healthy approach to living. Plus, we're in the Slovenian Dolomites tasting natural wines and making the best cheese fondue ever with Livy in the test kitchen. But first, how are you feeling this January? Do you habitually make abstemious resolutions or do you shy away from deprivation? Deputy Editor Susan Lowe talks about the delicious approach. It being January, everyone's kind of got their New Year, New You hats on. We don't really wear the New Year, New Year, New You hat here at Delicious. And I actually think that January is the worst possible time to sort of try to be a new you. Um, everyone's telling you to cut this, stop doing that, become this, do that. And it's just like, you know what, it's January. So we've taken a different tack and it's all about comfort eating and doing things that you enjoy. Eating healthily, obviously, and you really need to do that in January after the excesses of Christmas. But just kind of being nice to yourself and allowing yourself the opportunity to kick back, look at things, consider them. And enjoy. Yeah, sort of more of a meditative time over, over a slow stew, yes. a slow start to the new year. Yeah, slow but you are eating. going to try and persuade me not to drink, aren't you? I'm definitely not going to persuade you not to drink. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to do that. I mean, I may personally want to cut down in the new year, and that may be a wise thing to do. And yes, there's been a lot of new um, sort of um, alcohol-free spirits, so-called. And I think they're, they're great. Some of them are fantastic. They're, they're really interesting. The only problem with them is that they're very, very pricey. Mm. They go through a process of, of putting the botanicals in and using um, an alcohol process. Well, you can't get the, the flavours out of the botanicals without using alcohol and then de-alcoholising it. So it's actually quite a quite process. a lengthy process, which mm. is why they, they do cost money, because they are very carefully made and they mm. do have interesting flavours and such. But mm. if, if you want to spend a bit of money and you want to have a, a, an alcohol-free you know January... Sometimes it, feels, sometimes it feels like a treat, and I think spending money on yourself sometimes, especially in January when everyone's broke, it's a kind of an affordable luxury. And it's the psychological aspect of it. Everyone else is having a drink, and if you're not a drinker, if you don't drink for whatever reason or you're the designated driver, it sometimes feels a little bit special just to sort of pour yourself a little measure of something and you feel like you're having a tipple and you kind of, um, you know, ride the wave of everyone else's drinking session. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a good way to, to, to cut down. And I think... 
it's just about taste after all, isn't it? It's, it's about finding new tastes, delighting your taste buds. It is. It's a different way of doing it, and it won't give you a hangover, which for me is, is a primary factor for consideration because hangovers don't really get any better as you get older, do they? January or no January. Now, it's the season of feasting with friends and family, but also colleagues. And the pressure is on to pull the best dinner dates out of the bag. I went to the Savoy to join the capital's oldest women's networking group, Wackle, or Women in Advertising and Communications London, for a vegan banquet by Hugh and Fernie Whittingstall in support of Compassion in World Farming. Pippa Glucklick is Wackle's president and explained how the 380 tickets sold out in a matter of hours. And the week that I sent the email out was actually the week that Bake Off went vegan. Um, and so I was able to, to comment on that and the fact it's so much part of everyday conversation these days that I think what, what I'm hoping is that it will get people to reappraise. I mean, I'm not vegan, but I am much more conscious these days of eating more sustainably and I eat a lot less meat and dairy than I used to. Um, and I think really it's just about raising awareness and getting people to understand, um, you know, some of the benefits for their own health, but obviously for the planet and for animals as well. They might also have sold out because of the rather special guest, patron of Compassion and World Farming and long-time vegetarian, Joanna Lumley who explained what she was looking forward to. I know that we've got a feast in store, and I think it's going to be very different, very rare, and possibly the first of its kind in London and possibly even in the UK, which is a completely vegan banquet where lots of people who aren't vegetarians or vegans will eat stuff and just think they have walked into paradise. They'll be so pleased. I mean, it's, it's not an evening for converting people, but secretly, I put my head under the blanket as I say this, it is. <laughs> I would, love, I would love more people to realise that you can eat terribly well without meat or poultry or fish or eggs or cheese or butter. You can eat wonderfully well on just plant-based material. It sounds dull, but it's fabulous. If you're the kind of person who reads the, the Bible, the good book, you'll see that it's only on high days and holidays that they ever slaughtered an animal. And now we've got used to thinking it's something you should have three times a day, and I think that's got to go. I asked her when she stopped eating meat. I was a model in the 60s, and in those days there were all kinds of insane diets going around to try to make us lighter than we should have been. And one of them was steak and grapefruit. And for breakfast, grapefruit, and for lunch, steak and grapefruit. Now, if you were very poor, you couldn't. I mean, it was ghastly anyway. But it was kind of ghastly. And halfway through a steak, which I was chewing my way through, it suddenly reminded me of an arm. I can't explain why. I thought, this could be my arm. And I put my knife and fork down, and I've never eaten meat since. Meanwhile, an army of chefs was preparing the food in the Savoy's kitchens, and Hugh Furley Whittingstall, as architect of the menu, was feeling the heat. I feel really excited. I do feel a little bit nervous. Um, I'm not really actually nervous about the plant-based thing. I think that we shouldn't be. I mean, I, this is just such a, a, a great way to get the message across that, that whether you're an omnivore or, or a vegetarian or a vegan it isn't really, in the end, the defining thing. We all need to have plants at the centre of our diet. I'm an omnivore, but I'm more and more putting plants in the middle. And uh, that shouldn't be an eccentric thing to do. The fact that this is the first time, we think, in the history of the Savoy, possibly in the history of London hotel banqueting, that a vegan menu has ever been served, to me it just says, this should have happened a while ago and let's get it done and let's do it more. 
CEO of Compassion and World Farming, Philip Limbury, was making the keynote speech after dinner and told me what he hoped to persuade this banqueting room full of influencers. If we want a more sustainable food system, then one of the big things that we need to do is reduce by half the amount of meat and dairy that we produce in the world. And if we did that, the exciting thing is that by reducing by half, then all of the animals could be kept on pasture uh, or fed genuine byproducts and food waste. And in this way, they would contribute to the global food basket. Because what's little known is that factory farming which is put forward as this great efficiency, this wonderful, uh, efficient way of producing food, is actually hugely wasteful. Because by putting the animals in confinement, we have to grow their feed elsewhere using scarce arable land. In that transaction, those animals waste food. They waste enough food to feed an extra 4 billion people on the planet. And then it was time for the five-course banquet. Wackle member Hattie Matthews was impressed. This has been a, a vegan banquet. You're a bit of a foodie. What did you think? I thought it was amazing. Combinations of flavours, textures, things I hadn't tried before. Probably the one standout thing for me were the slow olives. They were called. They were slow berries. I make slow gin every year, but I never thought to put them in brine and eat them in a meal. Even know you could do that. I don't know why it never occurred to me, but I love that. I should definitely be trying that again. Uh, yeah, the fact they were smoked. Very clever choice, I thought, for the main course, because the smoking added a kind of meaty, umami flavour. Some of the men on the table that might have been raising their brows about missing the meat from the main course. I don't think missed it because he had the smokiness from the onion. It's a woman. <laughs> it was very very delicious I don't know what was inside hang on I'm going to refer to the menu ok smoked onions stuffed with spice squash hazelnuts and smoky seaweed juice so I guess you've got some umami coming from the seaweed the good spices coming from the squash so there's a little bit of heat to it that was a winning main course I don't know if I can repeat that but I think I'd like to try and repeat that that was excellent and a bit of chilli as well a bit of spice yeah. <laughs> now, Felicity Cloak reads just about every cookbook that's ever been written for her Guardian column and has collated some of her best finds in her latest book, Completely Perfect. I asked her if she knew how many books she was going to have to read when she first pitched that idea. Yeah, um, I didn't really realise what a big job it was when I started doing it, to be honest. Um, but I started writing a Guardian column eight years ago in which I um, take a classic recipe, so for example, ragu bolognese, and I find five or six different recipes for it, generally from you know really respected cookbooks, maybe a few left-field ones. I try them all out, and then I take the best bits of all of them and put them together into a perfect recipe, and then people are free to disagree with me and say it's not perfect, but I've given them all the options. And you say that you actually learnt to cook over the last ten years of, of cooking like this. Did you actually train as a formal cook? No, I've got absolutely no culinary training whatsoever. <laughs> but I think that actually helps me because I write recipes like, you know, the normal reader would understand them. So I don't assume that you know how to make a sabayon or you know what a double boiler is or anything like that. Yeah. I do it from an amateur's point of view. Um, but yeah, I have done quite a lot of it. It's been a, a, a sudden education for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're a, c- a curator of, of food cookbooks, aren't you? Golly, um, I d- certainly do have a 
a museum of them in my house. So, yeah, I feel like I, I like bringing attention to ones that perhaps people haven't heard of, haven't got a lot of publicity, maybe older titles. Um, yeah, that's quite... I like the idea of being a curator. Who's your favourite, Kirk? Or who's the most reliable? I would say that the most reliable, by which I don't mean just that their recipes always work, that's a, you know, that's yeah, yeah. A, a low bar, but the ones whose tastes probably most um, ally to my own... It's probably um, Simon Hopkinson, but the one the book that he did with Lindsay Barham, so I don't know which one of them is, The Porn Cocktail Years. I am obsessed by that book. It's just brilliant. It's all sort of classic um, dishes from the 20th century, but everything from chicken Kiev to brown Windsor soup to ragu bolognese, lasagna, all of that, and it's just perfect. It's just everything I make from it is delicious. Yeah, what I loved in particular about the book is the stories. I mean, it's the same in your column as well, but the stories. So take a moussaka or take a hummus or the salad niçoise. You know, you think you know something and then think again. Yeah, the salad niçoise actually did really surprise me because I thought I didn't like salad niçoise because one of the few things that I don't like is tin tuna. I just, I cannot bear it. So I thought, no, salad niçoise, not for me. But actually, it turns out that traditionally it's made with anchovies. And now, I was in Nice this summer, and you quite often get it with anchovies and tin tuna. Um, so that was a real revelation for me. Absolutely. And in Moussaka, you think it's lamb from Greece. Exactly. And actually, it's beef. Who knew? <laughs> I still prefer lamb, but it is traditionally beef. And Egyptian? Uh, oh, yes. And it does have quite complicated origins <laughs> as well. Everything you think you know about Moussaka, your mind will be blown. In the introduction, there's a rather handy help section where you go through when things go wrong what to do can you give me your top three save our savouries <laughs> okay the first one which i think is i've used more than once is if your mayonnaise splits which happens so often if you're impatient like me and it just suddenly you think oh no it's fine it's fine it's really not fine suddenly um is that you can rescue it by just starting again all you need is another egg yolk you don't need lots more oil and you put the egg yolk whisk it a little bit in a fresh bowl and then start whisking the split mayonnaise back into their egg yolk. And you can use nothing is wasted in that. It's just, it's ideal. So that's my favourite one. My second one is actually if you're making something like custard, and I love all custard-based dishes, you know, savoury or sweet, um, just to fill a sink a quarter full of cold water when you're making it, before you start, just anticipate disaster and put it there. You're making it in a double boiler. If it looks like it might start, sort of scrambling just stick it immediately in the sink of cold water and that will cool it down really quickly and stop it so that's um, a good one and then actually I think that my final one would probably be if you've managed to over salt something which is quite easy to do mm. especially if you salt um, early on in the process is to think about other flavours so quite often people um, think that they're just going to um, you know, add some sugar, sometimes people say, to try and balance it out and things. I think either you want to dilute it with something creamy or just dilute it with more water, depending on what the dish is, because obviously then you can reduce it again, but it just sort of, you've got a bit more control over the salt. Quite often people say, oh, just put a potato in and that'll soak up the salt, but I think you just end up with salty potato that way, more liquid. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, ahead of next week's debut of a new feature called How to Cook Like, kicking off with Jasmine Hemsley, food writer, Ayurvedic wellbeing coach, and one half of Hemsley and Hemsley with younger sister Melissa, I caught up with her in her kitchen for a slice of her life. I started by asking her for her first food memory. Being downstairs on a weekend when my parents were home because they both worked and waiting for the TV show to start. And it had that, do you remember that kind of black and white grid with a girl with a headband in? Um, waiting for the cartoons to come on and my mum would either make soft boiled eggs or porridge for breakfast and sometimes she would like spoon feed me even though I was too old (laughs) and I would say beep beep whenever I wanted another mouthful I think this is probably pre-mel coming along so I was probably about five and a half so I should have been feeding myself but um, yeah when you were growing up Mm -hmm. who was the boss? really hard because there's five and a half years between us Mm -hmm. I think if you asked her, she'd say I was the bossy boots, and I'd definitely say she's the bossy boots. <laughs> Around the dinner table as teenagers, mm. how would you have been with each other? I guess we'd squabble about stuff, but we also had this big sister, little sister relationship, so her favourite thing was she'd ask me to flare my nostrils at the dining table, which would make her laugh, and mum and dad would be like, what, what's going on, what's going on? Um, probably what we'd squabble about was who was laying the table, and who was doing this, and who was hoovering and who if mum shouted can someone help me and we're like well it's your turn today it'd be more like that kind of squabble and then it moved on to are you wearing my stuff again and that kind of thing so Hensley and Hemsley was a big family thing for you but actually Ayurveda is the life you live with your husband Nick you know Nick and I have been together 15 years we've been living this together so we've gone on a journey Nick Nick's kind of gone trekking in Nepal he's lived all over the world more countries than I have um, and has also been fascinated by the East. But when we met, as both as models, we, we both had two completely different schools of, of what healthy was. Mine was, go to the gym once a week if I have a bikini shoot. His was the chicken breast, broccoli, coffee, lots of chilli diet, you know? The, the kind of, that, that burn fat kind of idea. What we were both very aware of was that sugar wasn't good for us. You know, that's that's something that I think models have known 10 years earlier than everybody else knew, maybe because of the influence of, of um, LA and, and that kind of thing. Um, so we'd already cut a lot of sugar out of our, of our diets, even though I had, I was the one with a real sweet tooth. Um, and we start, we love, both love cooking, nothing fancy. Um, and we both got into the quality and the provenance of food. Um, and so over the years we would start swapping out any olive oil and making sure it's only extra virgin and try not to cook it mm-hmm. um got very interested in where our meat was coming from where our dairy products were coming from we started to help other people who then and then we ended up building clients we go into their house swap their 
food around, you know, put things into the cupboard, we you know, call a kitchen clear out, showed them what to eat, gave them some basic recipes, and then that built and that built, and I ended up with a full-time client, and Nick, and Nick was running around behind the scenes. I was in his kitchen full-time, but I also had a modeling job. And so I said to Melissa, who was on a sabbatical at the time, come and help me, come and help me. And so the three of us would then look after all these clients and it became our life. And then I had to make the decision, am I giving up modeling to do this? Yeah. And I'd been modeling then full time for 10 years. And I thought, do you know what? I really enjoy this, even though it's backbreaking work. And, um, and I really felt this desire to help people. People came to me who'd been on diets for 20 years and I just felt so sorry for them yeah. because they had this terrible relationship with food yeah. so that's how it all started really so first time you went to India first time I went to India was only quite recently I think it was 2016 so after you discovered Ayurveda oh yeah way after wow. I've been to Sri Lanka I think the year before but no this has been a very kind of like steady relationship that's built really okay. and then and then I probably that's where the epiphany of, of writing the book and wanting to talk more about Ayurveda came from because there it's everyday life. You don't even have to think about doing it. And one thing that I've really loved about what I do is I've contributed in some way to our environment supporting us a little easier in making better food choices and trying new things and um, being able to order healthier stuff in restaurants. Not that we're talking about New Year's resolutions, but if you are looking at ways of making less of an impact on the planet, you may want to try some of the fabulous natural wines on the market, including the Slovenian Klinets. I met Alex and Simona Klinets at their vineyard nestling among the Slovenian Alps, where they make the wine which is on the menu at Hisha Franco, home to the 2017 world's best female chef, Anna Roche. Alex explained to me why, after 100 years of the family business of natural wines, he takes his role as steward of the land so seriously. I asked him, what makes a wine a natural wine? Natural wine is that you respect the soil, that you respect the mother earth, that you are not going to use the poisons in the soil, that you keep uh, soil alive, so means that you are doing in the way like was made from the thousand, thousand years, so is just natural way and what working. does that mean so you've got a farm here you've got lots of animals yeah. who naturally fertilize yeah the this is the basic thing that uh, we are fertilizing our soil just with our compost so we must have the animals to produce the yeah and you've got the donkeys and yeah. the pigs and, and the pigs sheep and, and sheeps and uh, horses and everything and the chickens and the ducks, they all live in the vineyards. Yes, <laughs> gooses and the sheep are living in the vineyards. They are eating the grass in the vineyards and they are, in the same time, they are fertilizing the vineyards. <laughs> it's a fantastic Happy animals. <laughs> they are. Simona, you run the agriturismo business, really, and you have people staying here. So we are now in Medana. This is one small village, um, around 600 uh, people living here. And it's only two kilometers from Italy. Italian part, Colio, maybe more known than yeah. Slovenian Colio. So um, our clients here just looked on the, all the vineyards around uh, our house. Uh, so, um, but also you could see the mountains. In yes. one moment on the right is 
mountains area the and then the sea. And also the Dolomites. The sea. Yeah. And also you, and you can sea. see the sea. We are the just sea. 10 kilometers from the Adriatic Sea. Yeah. Now this makes perfect conditions for your wine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about why Especially it's so white. special. Yeah, because we have completely influence from the Adriatic. So we have completely Mediterranean climate. But it's mixed also with alpine climate. So we are also behind us are the the high mountains which are 2,500 meters high, and this mixture about Mediterranean and alpine climate make a special conditions to grow everything, not just wine, but also the fruits, the vegetables, and everything. Now this land, this soil that you talk of was once upon the time the bottom of the sea. Yeah, this was the bottom of the sea millions years ago. With the tectonic movement, create these small hills. In uh, Slovenian language, Berda means small hills, no? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, all the uh, Goriška Berda, the land is created from this bottom of the sea, with, uh, which are the layers of the fresh sand, and it's rich of salt and minerals, and so the the the, the grapes can go uh, with the roots really deep, also yeah. six seven meters deep, and can catch all the this salt and mineral of millions and millions it's, years ago. It's, that's a fantastic yeah. story. Back in London, where you sell your wines, you sell your wines yeah. all over the world, yeah. but you sell it through Forty Maltby Street. Yes, and. You know, it's kind of a trendy thing at the moment to drink natural wines. How do you feel about this latest trend? But I think that uh, our friends in London, our importers, we are now not just the uh, business partners. We came like a family and they start to uh, do these things more than 10 years ago. So, so where, where, yeah, yeah, where it was yeah. not yet, yet the fashion, slowly, slowly. they was uh, really focused on this, and they believe in this natural movement. And I think that this is the real way because the only uh, way. The only way because uh, here we are just a passenger, and all the farmers we must have this responsibility. We must keep the soil alive and to keep it for our children that they can continue to walk and live from their land, Mother Earth. And finally, Livy is in the test kitchen making some seriously winter comfort food. So this month in the test kitchen, I've been given the task of developing the ultimate Swiss cheese fondue, which for me is a dream. I love skiing. I eat so much fondue in the winter months. So it's just been such a fun recipe to develop. I took a bit of research in terms of what types of cheese I wanted to use because this was Swiss and not a French version. Um, and sort of in the end, I decided on Gruyere, Emmental and Reblochon, a mix of. Um, and it was, it was kind of like a bit of a trial and error as how to make it. I've made fondue a few times before and sometimes... When I'm adding the cheese in to the wine and trying to stir it, it sort of splits a bit and it's quite difficult to come back together. So I discovered this method, which is just all in one. You chuck everything in the pan and stir it and bring it to a simmer and it's ready in about five minutes, basically. So um, we've been eating lots of it, testing lots of it. And um, we've obviously got our beautiful cover, which is our Hasselback fondue, um, which is another version of food editor, Jen. She's done a really easy fondue recipe. So we've got two fantastic, cheesy recipes in January for our readers. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast. And don't forget to listen in to the new feature next week, How to Cook Like Jasmine Hemsley. I'll see you then.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.